As there are wonderful questions for us to ask ourselves this morning as we come to week four in our series, looking at the first uh, at the church at Antioch, and hopefully you and your life groups have done a wonderful job of working through and plowing through the ground of what it means to be a producer of disciples. And I just want to share a personal story with you that I think helps set up our time today. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. You can go ahead and begin turning there. And when I was in seminary, it was really the very first time that someone looked at me and with any intentionality said, I will walk with you in our efforts to become like Jesus. You know, there's a phrase that uh, we use of uh, people who are in the gym all the time. When they love the game of basketball and uh, they are always staying after practice and they are always shooting and they are always playing and they are always uh, in their free time hanging out in the gym. We call them gym rats. I was a church rat growing up. You know what I mean by that? I was in church all the time. Um, I grew up in a, a wonderful home. I, I grew up in a Christian home. But we were at church whenever the doors were open is the phrase that we use an awful lot. And that's fine. That, that's great. And God used that and Christ used that in my life to, to give grace to me and to, and to help grow me. Sunday morning and Sunday evening and Wednesday night and my dad was a deacon, and so my dad was a leader in the church, so he would uh, go on visitation, and he would do all of these things. And some of you who aren't familiar with church, you have to be wondering, what in the world are you talking about? I get that. But we were at church all the time, and I was a church rat. But it wasn't until I was 27 or maybe 28 years old, and I had gone to Washington, D.C. To, to work after finishing college. I'd come back to uh, to Raleigh, North Carolina, to go to seminary. And I was studying for the ministry. I was studying to give my life to the ministry, and it was at that time for the very first time that a friend took me to the side, and he began to walk with me, and for the first time in my life, I began to be broken before somebody else and to confess my sins to somebody else, and to feel liberated with another individual and to begin to grow. Not, not that being a church rat doesn't mean you can't grow. You can. But it can only happen, deep growth to become like Christ, has to happen the way that Jesus did it with the three and with the eleven and what he commanded us to do when, it, when he said to make disciples. And this is what I want to just share my heart with you about today, and that is a culture of disciple making here at Taylor's First Baptist Church. What's it going to take? But before we get there, I want you to see what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, and here's the basis in the video. They explained it incredibly well that Jesus finished his work, and now he, he has given the work of making disciples to men, to those followers. And here in this passage, we, we come to Galilee. We're not in Jerusalem where Jesus left and ascended up into heaven. 
and he gives those last words to his disciples. This is a little bit before that, but nevertheless, this is really the end of his ministry. Matthew puts these words as the final words of his gospel, and Jesus is near the Sea of Galilee to a place where he has directed the 11 disciples to go, and he's got one message for them. One thing that he asked them to do. Let's read it together, beginning in verse 16. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Here's the resurrected Lord. Here he is. He has been with them for a while. We don't know exactly uh, what day this occurs on in the 40 days after his resurrection. But nevertheless, when they begin to see him, and understand who he is, they fall on their faces, perhaps. They fall on their knees, perhaps. But in their hearts, at a minimum, we see this incredible worship for the man who had given his life for them and now has been resurrected. And he's looking, at, he's looking them in the face, and they're waiting to hear what this resurrected Lord is going to say to them. And here's what he says. And here's what he says to you and me this morning. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all people groups, of all nations. Two ways to do that. Number one way, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So this is the reaching part. This is the invitation for people to enter into a relationship with Jesus. This is the part where Jesus looks at those men and he says, I want you to go and I want you to find those who do not know me and I want you to invite them to come and follow me just as I have, just as I have invited you to follow me. And then when you do that, they are to be baptized. And this will mark their obedience and this will, will be a marker of their followership of me. So baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But here's the second thing, verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So just like a, a coin has a head side and a tail side, so discipleship has two sides as Jesus gives it to his disciples. One side is the invitation to follow him. The other side is the investment in others to grow, to be like him. Did you get that? One side is to invite people to follow him. The other side of the coin is to invest in people to grow to be like him so that they then turn around and do what Jesus did. And as Jesus looked at his men that day, he said, here's the method for me spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth. The method is that you are going to go under the power of the Holy Spirit and you are going to invite people into a relationship with me, but then when they come into a relationship with me, you are going to pour into them so that they grow to be like me and then they do the same. And so for 2,000 years, this has been the strategy. This has been the method of Jesus for making disciples to the end of the age for people everywhere. It's a simple method. It's a strategy that, that he gave on that, uh, on that mountain, and that's a strategy that has been given to the church. And for 2,000 years, this has been what Jesus has given us to do. The problem is that we as good church people 
sometimes have forgotten the simplicity of the strategy. Sometimes we've forgotten in the midst of all that we're involved in and in all of our activities and all of our energy and in all of our sinfulness. All the spiritual stuff is when we're doing good, but all the sinfulness is when we forget what Jesus has asked us to do. And so as we look at this church at Antioch, what we find is this incredible community of believers who took at face value what Jesus said, that we are to be involved in intentionally inviting others to follow him. And once they follow him, we are to invest in them so that they become like him and they can do the same thing. This church at Antioch, turn over to Acts chapter 11. I just want to read a couple of verses from there, and then I want to give us some thoughts from Antioch and Fort Taylor's First Baptist Church this morning. This church at Antioch, you have to remember, is a unique place because it is there in this city for the very first time that the gospel is going to be preached, and it, there's going to be a, a commitment to preach it to both Jews and Gentiles. So when the church is birthed, what you have are a bunch of new believers. What you have are a mix of Jews and Gentiles here. And so you have a group of people who have followed Jesus, but they need direction. They need leadership. They need discipleship. They need to know what it means to become like Jesus so that they then can go into Antioch and to the ends of the earth. And so the church in Jerusalem sends down a, a man named Barnabas to come down, and he's, he's full of the Holy Spirit. He's looking at this church, and instead of reporting back to Jerusalem, hey, you know what? There's some weird things going on. Jews and Gentiles are meeting uh, together. There's all these new believers meeting together. We don't know what to do. Instead, he, he says, the grace of God is upon this place, and there are these new converts here and there's some instruction and teaching and training and leadership that needs to, to take place and so what does he do verse 25 I love his very first move here doesn't go back to Jerusalem Acts chapter 11 verse 25 instead Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul and when he had found him he brought him to Antioch and for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Go over to Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. I want, to see, want you to see the flavor of this church. What happens is they begin to teach and they begin to preach. Acts 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. There was Barnabas and there was Simeon who was called Niger, and there was Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and then there was Saul. There's this cluster of leaders that are there that, that are training and that are teaching and that are investing and that are pouring into the, to the local church so that, verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them, and they sent them off. The disciples there were first called Christians in Antioch. The disciples were having impact on the city. The disciples there were, were growing in their faith to the point where they were willing to send out their leaders for the sake of the gospel. 
the disciples there in Antioch were, were so generous and so gracious with their gifts that they were, were, were giving for famine relief there in Jerusalem. We begin to see in the disciples at Antioch a group of people who resemble the grace and the goodness of Jesus Christ. And this is what disciples do. They resemble Jesus Christ. That word disciple, when Jesus comes on the scene and he makes disciples. There are two pictures that we have of the word disciple. The first picture is of a student with a teacher. Jesus was called rabbi. He was called a teacher. He would walk around. He would teach. They were amazed at his authority. The word actually means, disciple means learner, student, pupil. So you have someone who is teaching. Now, the, the, the only problem with, with that picture for us is we kind of think of it students like you're in school. You have a teacher in college. You have a professor. There's a lecture hall, and you have a bunch of students there. I like the other picture that is given about first century disciples, and that is of an apprentice with a master. An apprentice is someone who, who watches someone, who observes someone, who, who listens to what he says, but he watches what he does. He is with him. He spends time with him to the point that he then begins to do what his master does. And I think for us today, that might be a better picture of discipleship, where this is what Jesus did with those men before he sent them away to carry out the mission of the church, before he sent them to Jerusalem, where the Holy Spirit would come and people would be saved, and then it was their job to make disciples of those people. I think the picture of an apprentice and a master is a better picture because these men watched Jesus and they looked at him and they, they observed him and they endured with him and they watched him suffer and they watched him uh, in conflict and they watched him heal and teach and they saw that and Jesus said, now it is your turn so you simply resemble me and do what I did. This is what disciples are. And this is the standard for the church. The standard for the church should be, are we producing, out of the assembly line of our church, are we producing people that look like him? Is that what we're producing? Are we producing people that resemble Christ in, internally in their character? Are we producing people who externally are acting like him, who are doing the things that he did? This is the measuring stick, not, not, our own, not our own standards for religious duties, not our own sense of this is what we think church should be, not, not morality. We're not talking just being moral people here. Whatever measuring stick that you have for that is what the church should produce, we should put those to the side and say, here is Christ, here is what he did. Are we producing people like that? And this is my job as pastor. This is, this, is, this is my calling. My calling is to produce people who will one day stand before the throne complete, it says, Colossians chapter 1. My job is not to officiate or preside over religious services. My job is not just to simply lead a staff. My job and your job is to invest our lives to the point where people are becoming like him and are having the same impact with their lives and the lives of other people. 
And how do we have that kind of culture here at Taylor's? As there was in Antioch where, where Barnabas with great intentionality and with great, with, with great desire to go get someone over here and bring them over here and to pour into the people here so that they grow up. And then he's sent out. He's gone. What kind of a culture does it take for us to see Jesus produce disciples in us, for us to, to learn and to receive and to grow and to give as Jesus did with the three and as Jesus did with the 11? What type of atmosphere and culture will it take? Let me give you just a couple of thoughts, and then I want to present a couple of applications, and then we'll be done this morning. Thought number one, awareness. What are the ingredients of a discipleship culture? Awareness. There has to be an awareness that there is a need for me to grow in the grace that Jesus provides as well as there is the great potential in other people for them to grow in the grace that Jesus provides. You see, it's easy to come in and out of church every single week. Remember, I'm a church rat. It's easy for us to come in and to come out, and here's where we get stuck in two areas, all right? This is what discipleship will shake off. This is what discipleship will shatter. Two areas. Number one, individualism. That the church is about me and about my growth and, and, and me only. But here's the other thing it will shake up is religious ritualism. That me coming in and out of church and just simply doing church things means I'm spiritually mature. There has to be an awareness that I need the grace of God in such a way that I begin to grow like Christ with other people in a more intentional way. And this is what it takes. It takes vulnerability on the parts of those who are leaders who go to people. Like my buddy came to me. <laughs> There's some vulnerability on his part to come to me and open up his life to me. There's some vulnerability on my part to open up my life to somebody else. There's a... There's a there's a, a, a veneer that we can put up in church. There's a veneer, there's a, there's a thin layer that we can put up in church where, where it's thin enough where you, we can see one another, but there's something perhaps deep down in there that is holding us back from making ourselves available to one another. And, and pretty soon, we're just not aware of our need anymore. It's good enough just to come in and just to come out of church. It's good enough just to participate in religious activities without engaging and investing in the lives of other people and have other people invest in, in our lives as well. Number one, awareness. Are you aware? Are you aware that as good as the things that we can provide here at Taylor's First Baptist Church with our worship in both, both of our rooms and, and at the 9 o'clock service and with our life groups, as caring and as connecting as those life groups can be. Are you aware that those things in and of themselves are not sufficient for you to grow to be like Christ? There's got to be something else. There's, that those things are, are wonderful things that begin to move us towards discipleship. But there's got to be something more. There's something deeper. And it makes all those other things so much more richer and stronger and vibrant. That's the beauty of it. Discipleship does not take away from worship or take away from life groups. Instead, connecting with people in a way in an intimate setting of, of relationships richens 
and deepens those other things. It, it, it helps the church become more vibrant and energetic and strong spiritually. But are you aware, are you ready to become open to the second thing, relationships? Awareness and relationships, walking together in life, not just knowledge about the Christian life. Do you have individuals that you can walk with as Jesus walked with the three and as he walked with the eleven where you can see him at the center and then you pursue the life of Christ in you and in other people because he's there at the center? Do you have relationships where that can happen? This is Jesus' method of engaging in the lives of other people. And here's the danger for us when it comes to discipleship. Ed Stetzer, who is... Um, one of the vice presidents there at Lifeway. Lifeway is uh, a, a, a bookstore. It is a, a resource provider for our denomination, if you're not familiar with what Lifeway is. It's a Christian Barnes & Noble type place, right? And it, it, it has all these uh, resources, and it has Bible studies, and it has, and it has curriculum for small groups and for large groups and for churches. I've written for Lifeway. They produce stuff that I've written. I go to Lifeway. I spend money at Lifeway. This church spends money. Lifeway is a wonderful, wonderful way to get biblical content and information to people. I wholeheartedly endorse it. I wholeheartedly endorse getting biblical content and getting biblical information. But here's what Ed Stetzer said in an article titled Five Broken Views of Discipleship. This is the very first warning that he gave. Remember, he's with Lifeway. Ready? We equate discipleship with religious knowledge. That knowledge alone, that biblical content alone makes us think that somehow we are our spiritual. What we need are relationships with people where that biblical content and that biblical knowledge begins to be applied in our life. What we need is, no, is not simply more information. What we need is transformation of our lives through the application of the scriptures, through the applications of that biblical content. Beth Moore. Beth Moore is a, um, an incredible Bible study teacher. She is phenomenal. It, studies that our women have done and studies my wife has done. She's an incredible speaker. My wife has gone to hear her speak, I believe. And here's what she wrote this week. When she wrote this, I said, wow, she's getting after it now. Here's what she wrote. If you've only studied the Bible for history, for ammunition, uh-oh, or for a rule book for life, go back, throw on lenses of faith, and hunt down Jesus. Here's what, here's what I'm saying, folks. That our content and our information is needed and it's good, but it's not enough. It's not enough for, for you to dive deep into the application of those spiritual truths. There has to be an awareness this is a need, but there has to be relationships with other people. I want to share a story about a relationship that, that took place after my third point here, intentionality. I'm going to try and bring these three points together. Intentionality. There has to be a purposeful path toward maturity and reproduction. There has to be a starting point and there has to be a point of maturity where we, as Paul told the church in 
Paul wrote in Colossians, I I labor, I strive so that you, church, are mature, that you're complete, that you grow. Not that we're going to be perfect on this earth. We can't be, but we can grow. And every single one of us are at different points on the assembly line of production. There are some of you who are not believers. There are some of you who I would love for you to, to know Christ and to fall in love with, with him, and, to, and I'm inviting you to follow him. This church continually wants to invite you who come to our worship service to know him. But there are some who are, are new believers. You're, you're young believers, and there are some that, that are mature believers. You, you, could, you could teach others so much, and we're all in between. But the goal, there has to be an intentional path where we are all moving towards maturity in Christ. And that maturity in Christ means that we are going to be able to reproduce the life of Jesus in the lives of other people through relationships. There has to be intentionality. Let me show you how these three points come together in a story that's kind of developed over the last couple of weeks here at Taylor's First Baptist Church. There's a young man that came into my office. He's a college student and a great young man. And he's struggling with pornography, as many college students are, as many men are. Statistics say that four, if not five, if not six out of ten men who are seated here are struggling with pornography or engaged with it in some regard. It's, it's, an, epidemic. it's, just, it's an epidemic that will ruin the church if it's not dealt with. But a young man comes into my office, and he, he's struggling with pornography, and I loved his heart, and I loved his spirit, and he's got so much potential but he's struggling with this, and he wants to know what are some next steps for him. And so I didn't really know who, who to call. I mean, there's some counselors, and there's some great counselors that we have that I, I could look to. And, but I thought of this one, one man who has recently come to our church in the last few months, if not the last year or so. And I know that he was struggling with pornography for 17 years, trapped. 17 years, almost ruined his marriage. And God restored him, and God healed him, and God freed him from that. And now he has given his life and is studying to be someone who can, who can counsel and who can work with and who can lead those who are struggling with sexual addiction. Great addition to our church. So I pick up the phone, and I call him, and I said, um, hey, there's a college guy here, and um, I'm not quite sure which way to turn, and would you be interested in walking with this guy? He said, yeah. Yeah, he goes, I'd love to do that. So he um, begins this relationship with him, and, and so he calls me up a, a few weeks later, and he says, can I meet you at Starbucks? I said, yeah. Yeah, what, what's going on? He goes, I want to get your blessing on something. Okay. We sit down. I said, how are things going? He says, things are going great. Things are going good, and here's what I want to get your blessing on. He said, um, this, this guy that's struggling has a, has a friend as well, and um, they want me to help uh, invest in them and help them work through this and walk through this so that, uh, that they can move forward with their lives and they got potential for, for ministry, and, and um, that's exciting. That's great. He goes, he goes, is that all right? I was like, blessing? Absolutely. Go, go for it. You know, that, that's, that's what we do. And, and so he said, all right, but, but then here's another thing. He says there's someone else at the school who is not struggling with pornography. He's not struggling with this, and he has heard about this, but he wants to 
help those who are struggling with it. So he wants to kind of join in as well. I said, you're kidding me. He said, no. So let me get this straight. You have been healed. You have been restored. You're still fighting it. But Jesus has come and he he is producing his life and his grace in you. And now you get to turn and invest your life into college guys who have incredible potential, but they will be sidelined, they will be ruined, their marriages will fall apart, their homes will fall apart. If they don't get a handle on this, let alone ministry, let alone going to the ends of the earth, whatever, whatever it is, let alone that, you mean to tell me that you're ready to pour your life into them? Absolutely, go to it. Oh, by the way, there's another guy that's hearing about this, and he wants to be equipped to do the same thing. Absolutely. You're wanting my blessing? I want to kiss you on the lips right now is what I want to do, right? I was like, that's it. Jesus, you win. You and your grace poured into a man. And he turns and he takes that grace and he pours into young men who in turn will pour into other young men and the work of the kingdom moves forward. You see how it works? Aware, but it doesn't happen if these men aren't aware of their need. It's not gonna happen unless they enter into a relationship. It's not gonna happen unless there's an intentionality that says here's where we're going. Maturity in Christ is so beautiful. What an incredible picture. Number four. Culture, word, and the spirit's got to be there. The word and the spirit of God has to be in a discipleship culture. Otherwise, it's going to be built on just good things, not the best things. Harrison came home uh, the other day, and he had a test in science. And always, sixth grade science always challenges the pastor, okay? And so he had a, so does math, by the way. And he had this drawing of a cell, the cell. Cell membrane, and you students here, you, you know these things, right? And you have all these different organisms. Don't draw it out in the sermon right now, but that's, all right. So it had a cell membrane and all of the little, organi- little organisms around the cell membrane. But right in the middle is the nucleus. And in the middle of the nucleus, it contains two things my son taught me this week. Two things. Number one, the DNA. If the cell is the building block of the body, remember that? Then inside each cell, in the nucleus, in the center, is the blueprint. It's what that cell is going to become and what the body will ultimately become. It is the blueprint. It's called the DNA of the body. There's something else inside that nucleus, the energy. The energy that produces the proteins that in turn cause the cell to grow and to multiply and cause the body to grow and multiply. Right in the heart, blueprint and power. So it is in the Christian life. This word right here is what changes lives. This word right here is what transforms people who are caught in pornography and heals and restores them. This is the word that gives us the blueprint, the DNA of what we're to become. Discipleship is based on this right here with the power of the Holy Spirit that energizes the word in us and the Holy Spirit takes the word in us and it moves it through us to other people. The the word and the spirit 
have to be a part of this culture. And then fifth, time. There has to be time. We can microwave everything nowadays. There is nothing I don't think that you cannot microwave. But here is what is so common. This is kind of a thinking, even in pastors, even in me. Everything needs to happen quickly. Ed Stetzer, in that, in that article where he wrote about the broken views of discipleship, he said, here is one of the other broken views, is that we can program discipleship. We can't. It can't happen in six or eight weeks or in 12 weeks. It can't happen in the study of just this one book. All of these things have to put, be put not in a microwave and, and boom, it's done, but in a crop pot, and you turn that thing on low, and over time, all of those things melt together to produce what Jesus wants us to produce, and that is disciples. So here's, here's my, my question for you. Where are you in the discipleship process? Where, where are you in, is this type of culture something that is in your life? Is this type of thing something that you sense in, in your groups that you're a part of? In, the, in our life groups and in our Bible studies, all those things are wonderful things, and we can grow from those. Don't get me wrong. Don't hear me say you can't. But so often, so often we can misplace religious activity for true discipleship. Let me give you a way that this is applied as well to some incredible things that are happening here at Taylor's First Baptist Church. Today's Orphan Sunday. And when I think of when I think of people who need all of those things we just mentioned, awareness of a need and intentionality and relationships and the word of God, the spirit of God and time, all those things can be applied to children who do not have homes, to children who need to be adopted. Let's watch a video here of, of what God is doing in the life of one of our families, Ryan and Savannah Thompson, one of our deacons. Great, great family. How God has been working and stirring in their heart to get the gospel and to make disciples of children who are in great need. And then I want to present something to you and then we'll be done this morning. Let's watch this video. I'm Ryan uh, Thompson. This is my wife, Savannah. I felt very called to love on orphans. I asked Ryan to start going to Mission 127 with me. And we knew then that it was not the Lord's timing, but we kind of stuck out the class, wanted to see how we could serve the other parents who were foster parents and who had adopted children. Savannah really started uh, praying a lot about it and started praying about my heart. Uh, Paul started the family series. He was talking about the family and our mission. And uh, the Lord really convicted me right there and then about you know what we were doing to have an impact on those around us. He mentioned, you know, maybe for that, for your family, that means foster care. And I remember thinking, he, he isn't talking to us. And it really just hit home that, you know, the Lord was speaking to us and talking to us about uh, uh, starting the application process for foster care. I think that the Bible is very clear that we are to care for widows and orphans. I know that we've talked a lot in the past few years while we've been living 
in our home that the Lord has given us this house to serve Him. We are fortunate to have extra bedrooms and we kind of feel like the Lord has called us to fill up those rooms with His children. We had decided that we would like to expand our family and have another biological child. Um, and we just really felt like after several months the Lord had closed that door for us, for our family. So we got about almost all the way through our foster care process when I found out I was pregnant. So we're very excited about that. We don't know if that looks like long-term foster care or respite or emergency placement or adoption or something we haven't even thought of yet, but we have been praying about it and we know that the Lord will answer our prayers and we know that He will continue to lead us into orphan care In your bulletin, there's an insert that I want you to take home and look at. I'm just going to hit a couple of the highlights here as we look at an application for making disciples. And that is a great need here in the upstate. Over 1,300 children in foster care. Of those uh, children, 500 foster homes uh, are available right now. So there are many, many children who don't have places to go. It's listed on there that, <coughs> excuse me, they sleep on the floors in the offices of, of DSS. Um, Kathy told me this week that they have even paid for hotel rooms for these kids to stay in. There's this incredible need. Children are being placed outside their country of origin, causing a change in everything familiar. And Mission 127 is an organization, our ministry rather, that's been here for five years here at Taylor's. And their one aim is to hear the command and hear the call of Jesus to, uh, to rescue and to help those who are orphans. And so we wanted to present to you this morning an opportunity, and, and it's a call in line with discipling and in, call, in line with investing and in giving the grace of God that you have been given to those who are in need. It's a call and a challenge for the church to be what those, those disciples in Antioch were. They were first called Christ ones. They were like Christ to those in their community, in their city. I can't think of any better way, and there are a number of ways, but perhaps there's no larger challenge than to take kids in, either to adopt or to foster. And that's challenge number one. For some of you this morning, you heard Ryan and Savannah as they wrestle with this, maybe God is asking you to adopt or to foster something that is a, a huge, huge hurdle. And I ask you to pray through that. I simply don't ask you to make a snap decision on that. But you know what? It could be what God is calling you to do to disciple one or two or more children for, for, from the next generation. Here's the second thing I would ask you to consider, and that is to somehow wrap around the families of those who are adopting and those who are fostering. You see this graph here, and it can be imposing if you think, i got to do all that. No, you don't have to do all that. What we're simply saying is look at the many number of ways that you can come and you can wrap around a family. Look at the many different ways that you can contribute. You and your family, you and your, your wife or your husband, you and your life group, you and your Bible study group. 
you and maybe a, a group that you're, you're leading in your neighborhood or at the workplace, what if you said, we can contribute in this way and we're going to come and wrap ourselves around the families of those who are adopting and who are fostering. You're part of a wraparound team. Again, you don't have to do all these, but there's something you can do. It's just one way the body of Christ can be a part of discipling and reaching lost children. So, there's a meeting this Wednesday, November the 11th, 6.30, room B, 131. If you want to know anything about adopting or fostering, you come to that meeting. If you want to come and serve as one of these individuals or one of these families or, or part of a group that can wrap around these families, you come. Wednesday night. There are other ways for you to be involved there in the brochure, whether it's receiving emails. You can give your uh, gently used or new uh, items to a clothes closet. You can give money for a fund that's available for those who are adopting and who are, fo who are fostering. You can also, uh, as I said earlier, just be a participant in Mission 127, which meets on a regular basis, a wonderful ministry here, and, and people have grown in that community by the way that they serve and by the way that they love, and Jesus is in the middle of that community, and he is using it to be Jesus to other people. So I would just challenge you with that this morning. Come Wednesday night, and maybe the Holy Spirit will do something special in, in your heart. But then as we close... The question that we asked at the very beginning or that the video asked, how are you doing in making disciples? How are you being discipled? Hopefully this morning you've heard a little bit more about what this looks like and what this means. I'll put the challenge to you. You come to us as ministers. You come to us if you're ready to lead out you come to us if you want to be like that young man came to me and you're ready for some help in growing. Our job, our job is to disciple you and we'll do everything we can to make you become like Christ. Will you pray with me right now? Father, we bow before you and in our hearts and before we sing a song of commitment, we stop and we ask ourselves, how am I becoming like your son? And how am I helping others become like your son? Will you speak to our hearts? Father, give us the courage to take those next steps. Give us the insight and the wisdom. Give us discernment to know what this looks like. Give us people that we can invest in and invest with. For some of us, give us those mature disciple makers that we just need to learn from and grow from. And just as you did in Antioch, would you grow a church that is a transformational church in its home and around the world by transforming the people who are inside it. So begin to do it in us. And we pray this prayer in Jesus' name.